it's predominantly going to be body fat. And if you're already, and, and look, the, the actual specific number could be argued, but I think, you know, for, for any kind of body weight range where you're at, you know, 30 to 35%, and, you know, if you're a shorter person, obviously, you know, maybe being on the lower end of that range, if you're a bit more taller person, your fat distributes a little bit more, so you probably get away with a little bit more. But, you know, you would say like roughly around that 35%, but if you're above that, then you're gaining 5, 10, 15. Is from a, there is no zero physiological benefit in you gaining anymore because at some point, regardless of where you are, at some point you're going to have to take that off and you'll want to take that off. And, you know, we kind of spoke about, you know, sort of before the podcast, that there are a lot of health issues, as we all know, with being higher percent of body fat. So I would definitely agree with that in terms of the actual like weight gain. I think maybe, you know, it might be that someone is very stressed in other ways and, you know, they need, they might need other interventions. I think sometimes we're thinking that the only intervention is calories, increasing calories. But I mean, I do a lot of research in terms of like recovery and the nervous system. And, you know, you can go down that route as well with those interventions. You can go down, you know, just the person, is the person even moving? Do they need to just do more movement? Because I've been huge on movement, like just walking in the sun and, you know, that, that that's another intervention you could definitely like Craig said, there's the nutrients intervention. So there's lots of different ways to assess a stressor and obviously metabolic issues are from stress, right? So you have like some sort of deficiency. It could be, you know, a nutrient deficiency. It could be like, you know, a parasympathetic nervous system deficiency where you're just not recovering and you're just not getting enough sun. It could be, it could be a calories deficiency as well. But yeah, if you're, if you're talking about in terms of a woman who's like 80, 90 kilos, Likely she has a lot of stored fat already. She's probably eating enough in terms of quantity. But yeah, I agree that there's, you know, there's probably not really necessarily a reason to gain more weight. Welcome to the Win It Life podcast, a place where we share everything you need to know about restoring your metabolism so you can break free from restrictive diets and build a body you love. I'm Kitty Bloomfield, co-founder of New Strength and your host of this episode. Today, I'm joined by the amazing Libby Westcombe and my partner in crime, Craig McDonald. One thing I love about the perimeter community is that I've made so many great new friends. Everyone is just so friendly and supportive, probably because we all eat sugar and carbs. And I've actually got this great chat group going in WhatsApp with Libby, Amy and Leela. Now, I've had all of these ladies on the podcast, so if you haven't listened to their episodes, I recommend you do. They're not only super knowledgeable, but they're just awesome women. So we pretty much chat nearly every single day, and I often hear Libby and Craig having little rants about the same things, which really makes me laugh. But in all seriousness, I love how passionate and knowledgeable they are about all things training and body composition change. One thing I hear both of them talk about quite a lot is all the women that come into our programs who've gained a shit ton of weight after transitioning to a pro-metabolic diet because they believe that they needed a lot of healing pounds. So I thought I'd get them on to talk about healing pounds. And in this episode, we cover what are healing pounds? When are they necessary? When are they unnecessary? And how you can limit fat gain when shifting to a pro-metabolic diet? Why eating more isn't always the answer? Why tracking your food intake is so important if you want to limit fat gain? How to shift your mindset around food tracking if you find it restrictive or you can't be consistent. The type of training you should be focusing on if you want to limit fat gain. The misconception that women will look too muscular with weight training. One of the biggest reasons women aren't making progress in the gym. 
why standardizing reps is so important, how walking or aerobic activity can help with recovery, and the type of cardio every woman should be doing daily. And finally, why it's not a one-size-fits-all approach and where so many women go wrong when shifting to a pro-metabolic diet. So if you're a woman who struggled with fat gain and moving to a pro-metabolic diet, then you'll absolutely love this episode. As always, don't forget to take a screenshot and share your biggest takeaways on Instagram stories and tag me at K-I-T-T-Y-B-L-O-M-F-I-E-L-D. Let's spread the word and free other women from restrictive diets. Oh, welcome to the podcast, the amazing, beautiful, intelligent Libby Westco. We've been chatting for like, well, we got on it. We've been, yeah. <laughs> this always happens. Libby, amazing Libby, and Craig. Now, Craig's amazing too. So I've got <laughs> Craig. Everyone knows who That's Craig true. is, and I'm sure most of you will know um, who Libby is. If you don't follow her, go and follow her page. She's awesome. She's like just got this amazing rig, and she's really an amazing like trains amazingly she's just amazing go and follow her Um, (laughs) and she's a big supporter of women's strength training which we obviously Mm -hmm. um love and are so passionate about and uh the reason that I wanted to do this podcast with these two today is because well Libby and me and Amy and Leela so if you've been following me for a while you probably know who all those people are we we're all Aussies and we've got this little chat group which is really cool and we just we actually talk quite a lot of shit but we do support each other um, and, yeah, it's so funny. Often I hear Libby saying a lot of the same things that Craig says and Craig says a lot of the same things that Libby says and I'll come home and I'll be just telling you about, oh, you know, we had this conversation today in our little chat group and Leela said this and Libby was saying this and Craig's like, oh, yeah, I agree with that, you know. like So you guys really, I think, um, push a lot of the same message uh, when it comes to training and I really just wanted to get on and talk about healing pounds and get your guys' perspective because one thing that I noticed Libby says and is quite passionate about and one thing I noticed Craig says that is quite passionate about too is that we seem to attract a lot of women, well, not everyone, but like women that have come into the pro-metabolic eating world and they don't track their food and they just gain all of this weight And then they come into our programs and they're like, oh, my God, I've gained all this weight and now I've got to lose it and the tracking is too restrictive. And, you know, do you really have to gain that much body fat, you know, when you move to pro-metabolic eating? And I just really wanted to pick their brains about this whole process and, you know, potentially help women, new women who are coming into this world, um, you know, get healthy and love strength training and potentially hopefully not gain a shit ton of body fat because you probably just don't need to. Um, And yeah, I think this will be really cool. So I'm just thinking about where, where we should start. So like healing pounds, what is healing pounds when these other coaches are talking about it? Libby, do you want to go? Yeah. So I think what they're referring to is if you have been under eating for a long time and you've had to really, really restrict, strict in order to keep a very low body fat percentage um your body is obviously not in a happy place so it's metabolically not in a happy place and it's just not healthy in general to be a very low body fat percentage um especially for women because we actually do need more body fat 
and men to be fertile, you know, to have babies and that, and just to be healthy. So there's quite a huge difference in terms of body fat percentage that could be considered healthy for a guy versus healthy for a girl. And women obviously do try to, you know, just get really, really low. So if you're coming from that and you've had to just constantly restrict and do hours of cardio to stay there and eat super low calories, then it's just not the right healthy place for your body to be at. So there is definitely a time and place for gaining weight when it comes to healing the metabolism. Um, and I think that that's pretty much what healing pounds would be. And oftentimes that what the other um, coaches would say is that you do need to heal. You might need to gain more than you're okay with gaining initially in order to just let your body kind of establish that homeostasis and heal. Um, but yeah, in terms of it being extreme, I think that's where a lot of people get it wrong. I think, would you guys also too, like, cause we've seen it with women who come into our program, like, and I think I was one of those women when I started, you know, like I was, I'm pretty tall, not quite as tall as you Libby, but you know, I really restricted to maintain my lower body weight, but I also have less muscle mass too. because I was just doing stupid training, you know, lots of running and, and boot camps and classes and stuff, never actually any proper strength training. And then, you know, I actually gained a lot of muscle. I probably gained a lot of fat too. And looking back now, you know, we were just talking about it. If I'd probably tracked closer, I probably would have, wouldn't have gained as much, but I just didn't really care because I was just into the lifting. But, you know, you guys, do you see women, you know, like, and I, I don't, I know, I don't know if you can put, it's hard to put in exact numbers on it, but you know, like as an example, a woman who is, um, I'm just going to pluck a number 80 kilos and is 40% body fat. Like, you know, you see these women that are, that are at a, like higher body fats, then gaining this extra, like five, 10, 15 pounds, 20 pounds of weight. Is that necessary? Um, I would say probably not, but Craig, Craig can take this one. Uh, 100%, absolutely no fucking way. Is there any physiological benefit in you putting on more weight? And let's be honest, when you're, if you're putting on 5, 10, 15, 20 pounds, that's not going to be muscle, even if you are the best well-rounded trainer on the earth. We can only gain muscle at a very, very slow, as Broderick Chavez would say, at the speed of smell. Um, you can only gain so much at a certain amount of time. So if you're gaining that much, it's predominantly going to be body fat. And if you're already, and, and look, the, the actual specific number could be argued, but I think, you know, for, for any kind of body weight range, body fat, done in a body weight oh. range where you're at, you know, 30 to 35%. And, you know, if you're a shorter person, obviously, you know, maybe being on the lower end of that range, if you're a bit more taller person, your fat distributes a little bit more. So you probably get away with a little bit more, but, you know, you would say like roughly around that 35%, but if you're above that, then you gaining five, 10, 15 is, fat. Is, is from a, that there is no zero physiological benefit in you gaining anymore because at some point, and regardless of where you are, at some point you're going to have to take that off and you'll want to take that off. And, you know, we kind of spoke about, you know, sort of before the podcast, that, that there are a lot of health issues, as we all know, with being higher percent of body fat. I mean, that's why the BMI scale exists, whether you agree with it or not. It, it, is, it is a fairly reliable indicator based off height and weight that if you're above a certain point, then you are in a higher risk category. Of, it doesn't obviously take into account body composition. No, no, it doesn't. But it, it's it's still, that's what I mean. Like if you can just assess and kind of go, I'm this height and I'm above 35%, then you don't need to gain. It's not a, 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 a calorie or a 
an energy deficient issue because you have a lot of stored energy at that point we could probably go down and you know, I was talking the other day that it's probably more to do with a nutrient deficiencies mm. like that because if you're eating essentially all the pro-metabolic foods to a degree like a lot of those foods are relatively low calorie based off you know like if you're eating oranges all the time like you've got to eat a lot of oranges <laughs> to you know gain a, a, an x amount so you know i guess the main thing yeah. is context is very important and mm-hmm. to assess that at the start so for me it's a big hard no what do you think would be yeah yeah so i would definitely agree with that in terms of um the actual like weight gain i think maybe you know it might be that someone's is very stressed in other ways and you know they need they might need other interventions i think sometimes we're thinking that the only intervention is calories increasing calories but i mean i do a lot of research in terms of like recovery and the nervous system and you know you can go down that route as well with those interventions you can go down you know does the person is the person even moving do they need to just do more movement because i've been huge on movement like just walking in the sun and you know that, that that's another intervention you could definitely like Craig said there's the nutrients intervention so there's lots of different ways to assess a stressor and obviously metabolic issues are sh- from stress right so you have like some sort of deficiency it could be you know a nutrient deficiency it could be like you know a parasympathetic nervous system deficiency where you're just not recovering and you're just not getting enough sun it could be it could be a calories deficiency as well but yeah if you're if you're talking about in terms of a woman who's like 80 90 kilos likely she has a lot of stored fat already she's probably eating enough in terms of quantity but yeah i agree that there's you know there's probably not really necessarily a reason to gain more weight i would say Mm -hmm. there's definitely a reason to start you know, using other interventions, you know, including weight training, maybe like introducing that if you're in a good place. I like what you said, Libby, about like, obviously the food and the training is one part of it, but the, um, you know, other stresses like emotional stress too, like yeah. I've seen clients, you know, like just, this is an example, you know, like they've got a really stressful job and they hate it. They absolutely hate it. And like, they're doing everything right with the food. Now I'm not sleeping and they'll increase, keep increasing their food. And it just does nothing because yeah. it's not, that's not the issue. You know, a lot of time, yeah. for a lot of women, they just need to eat a bit more and they'll sleep better. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's that emotional stress and, you know, even myself and I've talked to obviously Craig knows, but you and Leela and Amy about this so much about the whole journey with the pregnancy, you know, like I'll, I'm yeah. like so diligent with my food, mm. removing all the other stresses, training and my sleep was so bad because I was mm. just so emotionally stressed and it wouldn't matter how much food i ate yeah it wouldn't change anything so it's like yeah Yeah. i think you're really right like it's not just you've got to look at everything the whole picture and i've actually been because i've been doing this like recovery handout and it's interesting because i've researched into it a little more and something like sleep for example if you're having when you're having your issue like if you're having issue waking up in the night oftentimes that's a physical you know glycogen depleting type of situation but if you're having an issue with falling asleep at night, that's not often a, you know, need more food. That's often a, you can't come out of that sympathetic state. So your body's still like, maybe you train too late in the day or, you know, there's so many different reasons mm-hmm. and people might automatically think, oh, I need to go and add another snack before bed. So I think it's just looking at, like you said, really just stepping back, looking at the big picture and seeing what are the deficiencies in my life. And it's not always calories. Like that is a, a deficiency, but that's not the only deficiency. So I think that's a, that's a really good starting point. Just look at the deficiencies first and be really honest with yourself, you know, like, is, are you having a stress? Do you have a stressful job? Like you said, 
you know, do you hate your partner? Like who wants to live with someone I they hate all the time? Something that's really, like you say, keeping you in that fight or flight. Because yeah. I know I just keep bringing it back to myself, but it really hammered it home for me. Because I was eating like 3,000 calories, not training, walking in the sun every day, but I was waking up like four or five times a night. So it's not, it wasn't, the problem wasn't the food. And then as yeah. soon as I took that mental stress away, hey, I was like sleep improved. Yeah. Like it yeah. was like just overnight nearly. Yeah. You know? So yeah. it's just, the, yeah. you're right. Like I think people can think, oh, I've just got to keep eating more. What do you guys think about, because you guys would have had this too, like, you know, clients that come in and they're like 100 kilos and they tell you that they're eating 1,200 calories. They swear black and blue and they're like, I've got thyroid issues and I'm eating 1,200 calories and they're not losing weight um they're not <laughs> pretty much it's just not possible yeah yeah i uh i 100% agree with that and i uh... they may be doing it some days right exactly exactly there, there is there is a lack of awareness around um i'm i'm following a 1200 calorie diet and it's like well the diet that you have is 1200 calories and you might be following it on a day but when we're looking at on a weekly average, it's obviously much, much higher than that because, you know, and I use the example and it's kind of a grim example, but I'm like, just jump on Google, look up uh, concentration camps uh, of, you know, the, the Holocaust and all these things, they're, they're awful things to kind of, but they're the very best example. And I'm like, look at mm-hmm. the, 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 uh, the, the Australian men who were in the, the Japanese prison camps. These are fully grown men, fully grown men who are 40, 45 kilos. Why? Because they were legitimately calorie restricted for mm-hmm. months and months and months on end. And then I, I often get the pushback and they're like, yeah, but they were men. I'm like, no, 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 no. Go look. That's one example. Look at other examples. There are women in that as too. But the, the reality is don't put on body weight from eating air, right? You, it goes up because you just simply eat too much. And there is mm-hmm. often in that case, there is a lack of awareness potentially subconscious eating and a number of other things that we could probably touch on as mm-hmm. to why that happens. But from a, from a, again, from a fundamental physiological perspective, your, the, the amount of food that you eat on a daily basis controls your body weight. So you, if you are yeah. at a certain body weight, that is reflective of how much you are eating consistently. And obviously so, you guys aren't saying that that's the right thing to do. Don't eat 1200 calories that like you don't need to do that. But no. I think, yeah, like we see women that truly are have been eating to they're tiny. tiny. They've got a lot of issues, like they've their tiny. metabolism is, you know, adapted and they've got all these yeah. issues and it's not the right thing. I mean, you would you see it too, Libby? Like really Yeah, hundred percent. And another example which is a little bit more modern day is people can watch my favorite show, which is called Survivor, and you can see the contestants from when they start to when they finish. Yeah. The ones that last all the way till the end. And I'm talking there's like 15, 20 kilos lost. And that's over a smaller amount of weeks, right? And this is there was this one girl which was interesting because I, um, she went on like two different survivors. She came back on like Celebrity Survivor, and she had like thyroid issues, and always talked about it on her Instagram. And she also just lost heaps of weight. So it's yes, there's definitely you know it makes obviously because the energy that you're expending becomes less if you have metabolism and thyroid issues, but you still it, it comes down to being in that deficit. So it, if you're going to lose weight, you have to to be in a calorie deficit so there's you know 1200 calories i mean that's that's just like most probably less than most people's basal metabolic rate so yeah you would be you would be starving if you were 100 like if you yeah you wouldn't be 100 kilos no it's not yeah even with thyroid issues like obviously there it does down regulate their 
breast mm-hmm. milk is lower, but it's not so low that they're going to make not that drastic. 45% body fat eating 1200 calories. And, you know, we, I see it too. Like when you actually dig a bit deeper with these women and really get them to open up, they're like, then I'm binge eating kitty. Mm-hmm. I'm binge eating, you know, like we're drinking as well. Drinking. Yes. You yeah. drinking. We see that too. When, you know, like one of our best transformations, Sean, because she was a huge drinker, hundred kilos, binging mm. all the time, lots of emotional issues. And she had an amazing transformation because she really dug deep, stopped drunk, stopped drinking, you know, you know, she eats 2,400 calories a day and lost 30 kilos. You know, it's like, it's, yeah, but yeah, because I think, you know, like, you you know, like I think so many people focus on the foods and the nutrients and what I really like about you guys is it's like tracking. The calories matter too and the Mm -hmm. macronutrients matter, you Mm -hmm. know, like maybe you can talk a bit about that. Yeah. Um, I think as well, like from a coaching perspective, it's, I mean, I feel like there's almost, I wouldn't say a duty of care, but you know, that's a little extreme and dramatic, but I feel like there almost is a duty of care. It's if you're going to teach your clients about food quality, you should also be teaching them about quantity because it goes hand in hand and you can't really have one without the other because you can easily, you know, overestimate things like fat, for example, which is very high calorie and yes, fat foods are healthy and they contain the fat soluble vitamins, which are super important as well, but you can definitely overeat on that super easily. So, you know, that's, I mean, that's like from taking it all the way back to like when you first get a client and they know nothing about the quantity of their food as a coach, I do believe that it should be a responsibility to also, you know, even if you're a super health first person and everything's about health, which is really good and so much better than a lot of other coaches, there sh- you should still be teaching them about the quantity and the macronutrients. Um, yeah. That's where I look at it, I think. And I'm sure Libby, you've had this too, like women that come in because we had in our program and they've been on pretty low calories and they've been small and they've been able to increase quite a lot because mm-hmm. they were really strict with the tracking yeah. and gradually did it without like pretty minimal fat gain. Putting on weight. Yeah. yeah. I've actually had someone go from like probably 14, 1500 to about 2200 with no fat gain. So good. So yeah, that was crazy. Like that was probably, I mean, a few, but she was genuinely you know, one of those very disciplined people who was actually eating really low calorie, tracking everything. So she had definitely downregulated her metabolism and she needed the extra food. So of course we did it gradually as well. And she was building muscle rather than doing all the hip classes and that. So all of those things combined play a part. It's like in that body recomp that we talk about. Mm. Um, but yeah, I've definitely had other women on that lower end who are genuinely just eating way too little, but they're usually quite small in okay. build. Yeah. yeah yeah you're right low muscle mass low i mean that's just logic isn't it like that's just math if you have a lot of fat on your body you've been eating like craig said like where else does it come from yeah, it doesn't if you're 90 or 100 kilos you don't just you don't grow fat with nothing you know what i mean so you are in a surplus to put on fat so yes and i i don't I think they're like, it's not, I'm not super extreme because I do have a couple clients who really do struggle to eat, to eat more. Like they're, you know, they're at like maybe 1800 calories and they do start to put on fat when we bump it up. But then oftentimes I look at their lifestyle and they, they're quite sedentary and they don't have much muscle mass either. So there's, there's those, there's those aspects of the metabolism that play a big role too, which we could talk about. But yeah, I think that I've had a lot of women start very very low who are very small and build up slowly and not put on fat as well but that's still eating 1800 calories like that's not eating 1200 yeah. calories. you know like yeah, no no not a single one of my clients eat 1200 calories 
yeah. they just I just don't think that many people could actually long-term survive on it without binging and doing those cycles yeah yeah I I've uh I've actually I've done this as an experiment with um I guess non-compliant clients who who, who really kind of buy into it and they believe that and I've uh, mm-hmm. and this is where I I really you know crap on it nauseam about the whole being specific with your tracking like being accurate with don't just say you track be accurate make sure that you're planning all that stuff that that would be conducive to getting a you know objective outcome and i've had clients where you know they've been on like 1900 calories you know weight sort of fluctuates enough that you like again you're not being accurate with that and then yeah you, know, you do a huge drop you do a really big deficit to just go let's just see right mm-hmm. you do a big drop it's just like 400 maybe 500 calories zero change and I'm yeah. like, all right, let's just do this for a week. Let's put you on 1,200 calories because this would be a significant drop by this. You should be even just water white, glycogen, all that stuff. Everything, yeah. Big drop on the scales. 1,200 calories, they check in the next week, zero change. Yeah. And this is where the whole, all of a sudden they're like, see, it's my metabolism. Like you cut all this food out and my, my metabolism is demonstrating that I'm not losing weight. And I'm just like, okay, let's do it the reverse. Let's put it up. And then you get up, you go back to 1500, you go to 1700, 1800, 1900, nothing changes, 2000, 2100, 2200, 2400, nothing changes. And you're like, either you're an alien or there is a very significant fundamental issue here that's going on. Mm. And yeah. it's just, you know, the more questions I ask, the deeper I deep in just in, in terms of those really basic things, I'm like, just what day do you go shopping? <laughs> uh, sometimes, you know, it'll be Friday. You know, Saturday, depending on Sunday, I'm like, okay, so straight away you're telling me there's no real specificity in what it is that you're doing week to week. Yeah. We go shopping on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Get our food delivered now. On yeah, your routine. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's, it's a routine, right? And, and again, it's just, I think if the, the right questions are asked around the lifestyle and just behavior stuff, then the answers kind of come out straight away when you kind of get the, uh, the skeptical eyebrow raise as Mike Israel would say, and just go, yeah, there's, there's something really off about this. This is just, just doesn't make sense. Yeah. The people yeah. are very much buying into this, that it's my metabolism. And I'm like, I'm not dismissing that your metabolic rate and how you've been doing things it certainly has some influence. I think yeah. that influence is much, much less than what you actually believe it is. Yeah. And I completely and- agree. This is the reason why when we've had somebody like shit, like you used the example of Sean before she was a hundred kilos and, you know, we started her on, I think it was like 1700, 1900. And it's just like, when you look at her log over like an 18 month period, the yeah. only food adjustments we made was putting them up. Mm-hmm. And that was because she, she was binging. consistent. She yeah. stopped binging. She stopped drinking. She started strength training and actually learned how to do it and whatever. And it was like the food become a, point of fueling her body based on what she was doing in the gym and her activity she started walking a lot more and she yeah. got changed her job she was on her feet a little bit more so it was mm-hmm. reactive to what we're seeing but it all started with a higher compliance and and honesty yeah exactly just and, and and yeah and that kind of just like owning it you know there was i mean she wasn't perfect during that period we had a few conversations where I was just like, dude, what are you doing? But there's no such thing as perfect. I think that's the no, other... no, 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 but you don't yeah. need to be perfect. No, I know. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like yeah. the, the example of you just can't be deluded. 
just yeah, yeah, you have yeah. to be you have to you have to like you said take complete ownership for your fuck-ups and for yeah it's and it's not even necessarily a fuck-up because I always say that it's not healthy to be perfect yeah. you know you can have like 80 85 percent but I like I like using percentages so like I'll tell them you know out of 30 days I want to see you tracking 26 days yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah and then you can have those other days but that's still enough to get results but if you're tracking if you're doing five days a week and then you're having your, or if you're doing four days a week and you're taking Friday, Saturday, Sunday off, that's not a big enough percentage to get results. So, or just yeah, blowing it out the I window. totally agree. If you like mm-hmm. a binge day and drink alcohol and yeah. yeah, like there was a good example, Libby, you talked about, obviously don't say a name, but this client that you had that conversation with about the tracking, the new client, maybe mm-hmm. talk about that because that's a good example. Yeah, um, it's the one that I was talking to you and Lilo about. Sorry? The one that I was talking to you and Lilo about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So she, um, it's basically like she, they sometimes come in and they, they, they tell me that it's obsessive, you know, like it's really obsessive to track. Um, I don't feel like it's mentally going to get me where I want to go. I feel like it's actually going to, you know, take me away from metabolic healing because I'm going to be stressing myself mentally and that. Um, but I think it's really important that most people realize that you have to be willing to then take changing your body composition off the table if you're not going to track. So maybe it is mentally going to be like not healthy for you or whatever. Like, I'm not saying that that's not the case, but then I pretty much said, why did you hire me? Because I'm not here to, you know, I'm not here to mentally babysit you. I'm here to be your coach and to take your data and to actually see, okay, this is working. We need these macros. You know, you want to get this result. You hired me for a specific result. So in that case, the only thing I have to work with is your data and I need you to track in order for me to be able to get you that result um if it's something else that you need like you know another deficiency as I spoke of like a a psychological or emotional need then I'm not the coach for you Mm -hmm. um I I need you as I am a nutritionist I am a training coach that's what I work with I like it just seems so logical but yet they still they'll still join my program and then they won't want to give me the data that I personally need like, I'm pretty sure if you have emotional and mental issues, you will need to be giving your psychologist or your psychotherapist some form of data where you need to complete something they ask you to complete. Like, did you do your journaling? Did you do whatever it is? Um, but the data that we need is very specific to the result that we're going to get you. So in that way, if you want a body composition result, we need this particular data. So I told this client, I basically straight out said, why did you hire me? And when you say it like that, it's it, it kind of does put it in perspective for them because I'm not just a babysitter. I'm not just going to, you know, like you can get that. You can, you can learn all about the pro metabolic foods from, you know, everyone else too. Mm. For free. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. You get a lot of free lot of stuff on Instagram. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I think it's yeah, a really good point. It is. You're right. You've got, they've got to get specific and, you know, like I've, Craig and I've had so many conversations because like I've come from a fucked up eating background, like obsessive because just my nature and that real restriction. But, you know, I've managed to shift my mindset about the tracking and like it's really empowering and it lets you, teaches you about your body and you can make decisions and you can go like, oh, okay, cool. I feel like you've got to shift it to like it's this cool, interesting experiment. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's like, remember when I met Craig, so, all right, you're going to eat this food, you're going to lift these weights, here's the program, you're going to get stronger, we're going to see these body, like it was just this really cool, like you've got to get excited about it instead of, yeah. you know, being like, oh, it's restriction and I hate it so much. And I think, you know, we talk about this a lot, Libby, it's like, obviously it's fine to want to change how you look. 
you know, but if you just can't enjoy the process at all, like if you don't actually yeah. really want to put the time and effort into becoming a good lifter and get better at this, like I still get, ex- I'm sure you do too. I still get excited when we go to the gym. Like, oh, cool. I want to beat this, increase my numbers here. I want to improve my technique or I want to do this. Like it still excites me. And then obviously your body is going to be a reflection of the things that you do consistently day in, day in, day out. And I think, and you guys talk about this so much. It's like, and we just always seem to have to hammer home this message. It's like, it's the, and yes, you can do cardio. Yes, you can. You can do cardio, but you've got to be, get strong. Like first, Mm -hmm. right. Like if you don't, if you do all this cardio and you've got no muscle there, like what are you just going to be skinny? Mm -hmm. And you're going to have to. Your metabolism lowers as well. Yeah. Yeah, because technically cardio actually makes you like more efficient. So Hmm. like when I do cardio, I use it for very specific purposes when it comes to recovery. But if you're doing, say you're training for a marathon, it's actually making your body and your metabolism more efficient. And that's not what we want. Muscle makes you less efficient. And that's what we want. So it's generally in life, we want more efficient things. But when it comes to metabolism, we want a, a less efficient metabolism because that burns through so much more like if, with a car, like, you know, burns through so much more petrol, right? So if you're doing a marathon or you're doing heaps of cardio with no muscle, you're just making your metabolism less and less, yeah. uh, sorry, more and more and more and more efficient. So you're just going to get to the point where you're going to need like, you know, bird size portions to maintain because it. yeah, you've got no muscle, you've got, you know, yeah. And you, I don't think that's what most people's goal is. No, and think about like in a famine, obviously, like your body wants to get rid of expensive things, like muscle is expensive. It needs more yeah. food to maintain. And, you know, it's just, I think women too, like maybe you can talk about this, Libby, like they think that they're just going to look real muscular if they weight train. I don't think they realize that if you really actually want to look muscular, the years of yeah. that go into it and how strong you actually have to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's hard work. Yeah. I think oftentimes they think that they look bulky because maybe they did start weight training and they didn't really change their diets that they had fat already on their body. And if you're, so if you think about it, like in terms of say you have a certain amount of fat on your arms and you don't necessarily change that amount of fat, but you add muscle. So you're actually increasing the mass. So it's definitely, it's going to look bigger. Like this is also where I feel like it's important to clarify that Mm. because it will look bigger. You'll, and oftentimes they go through this stage where Um, I've had this client, I actually did a post about her a while back, Mariska, but she went through the stage where she was bigger, but it's before it sort of kicked in where that recomp happens um, because we were in a muscle building phase. So oftentimes, you know, they feel that slightly bit more fluffy or that slightly bit bigger and they freak out and they want to go back into a dieting phase again quickly and stop weight training. Whereas it's the only way you're actually going to be genuinely bulky from muscle is if you train really, really, really hard and you put a lot of muscle on the bulky look that a lot of people think is just that fat with the muscle. Yeah. So yeah, like either eventually you need to get to that point where it's going to recomp because you have more muscle. If you say you're eating at maintenance, you have more muscle. Eventually you start burning fat because your metabolic rate goes up mm. or you just need to, you know, get in some, some form of a deficit, you know, even if it means adding more movement in whatever the, the deficit can come from, it mm. doesn't always have to be calories, although that's the easiest way to track, but you know, you can't, you can't keep if you keep adding muscle to a body that has fat and there's no fat change, that will look bulky. Mm. Right. But the genuine, the genuine bulkiness that people think it is where they just blame the muscle. That's really, really, really hard to do. That takes like, I mean, you look at what bodybuilders. Yeah. Like that takes so long. And even they're not that crazy. Like 
they're still like small overall. They they're just really really lean. Yeah, and that's I think another thing when you like we talk about this too. Like you see these women on stage that are in mm-hmm. like bodybuilders and they they look massive, but they're actually tiny. They're like they're tiny, yeah. Fifty something. They just have tan on and they have the crazy lighting and all that. So yeah, yeah. they look really big. And yeah. you know, like you know, we were talking and you were saying you know you back in the days when you didn't do any training and then you found CrossFit. Mm. and you put on 10 kilos of muscle but you mm. trained fucking hard for years to do yeah that. yeah and it's interesting because the first time the first like probably year or so when I was doing CrossFit I was just very like paleo and that was a thing because I hadn't done my nutrition course my diploma yet or anything so I didn't know about glycogen and carbs and that so I couldn't really push to that level that I needed to in CrossFit to actually build muscle because it's such a glycogen depleting sport mm-hmm. so I didn't make like I made it within three months I had like some muscle and I was happy but then I kind of stalled for a while until I started really smashing the carbs and like I'm talking a lot more food and that's when I just put on so much muscle so yeah it's it's definitely you know but still like definitely not bulky it was like <laughs> I was like super lean. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like when I stopped CrossFit, I was still leaner than I am now, but that's just, I would say that's also just the amount of of training that I was doing was so much. So yeah, yeah, but you were professional in a way athlete, right? Like, yeah. 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 But I think it's an important thing to realize about the bulky argument, which um, I actually think recently it's been a little bit more fashionable to be muscular, which I like, like Mm -hmm. I feel, I find a lot of girls, want muscle which is really nice because back in the day it was like even I have I had so many comments back in the day like looking like a man and stuff you know what I mean like you just barely have any muscle and you get told you look like a man but now it's like it's like everyone likes it more so that's good but yeah that it's that fat like would you agree Craig that if the girl if a, a woman has more fat and she adds muscle to that there's that kind of phase in between do you get that complaint sometimes where they feel they say fluffy they use the word fluffy yeah, no, I, I, 100%. It's, it's kind of like a lag period where they're, they're making, um, I, I kind of, I try and explain it in a way where um, if you're, you're a certain body weight, you have a certain amount of lean mass because even if you don't train, you still have lean mass. You still have some muscle because obviously you're still, you're still, still going to do at, it. Yeah, stuff, yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. And, and I think with, you know, certain CrossFit would 100% fit into this. Um, but even with weight, when you're learning squats and whatever, there there is a a, a point where you're just learning the skill and the ability mm. to execute movements, but your capability of what your true strength is, is way down the track because you're not able to access that strength because your skill level isn't at the point. So there's this lag period where they squat, they squat, and they deadlift, they do all this sort of stuff. And then they get this period where it goes bang. All right, now I'm lifting the weights. It's relative to my actual capability. And as I start to surpass that, all of a sudden, like they do the next chicken, and they're like, yeah. I just feel like I'm looking different. Like I show it and I'm like, my ass, my husband was grabbing my ass the other day. He was like, wow. Yeah. And, it, and, and it's that. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's from, a, from a sport perspective, like, and I've used this example before, like someone said, hey, let's come and play tennis with me tomorrow. I'd be like, hold on, I need to learn how to play tennis before I can actually play tennis with you. Mm-hmm. I don't even know how to hold a racket, right? So there would be a lag period of me just learning the skill of it before I could actually have a rally and make it something yeah. enjoyable for the other person. So I, I, I think, you know, the skill of lifting weights, um, that is kind of missed. Like people believe, oh, I just go into the gym and I just do mm-hmm. stuff and I'll change. 
It's like, no, there's a skill element, there's an execution element, there's an effort level element to it. And mm-hmm. there's going to be a time as you're just making more neurological adaptions, a skill, all that sort of thing. And then all of a sudden, boom, you'd be like, oh, I looked, yeah. but it could be six months, it yeah. could be 12 months. I mean, this is all coming back to the person depending on how well they move and everything. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, hundred percent agree. This just made me think of another point that you guys can talk about is like, and you'll be able to explain it, but you know, like someone, we get a lot of women that are new, like new to lifting. So they're novice. And a lot of these women, like we talked about the Shans and the Annas and the Debbies, you know, they've come in at like 98 kilos, I know, 82 kilos and They've just eaten, they've set their calories and eat consistently. Like I think Debbie's eating 2,000 calories a day. It's all she's done consistently. And then she's just gradually gotten stronger, but she's dropped like she went from 85, sorry, to 72. And she's getting stronger. So they don't have to go through like, you know, you guys talk about like the muscle building phase and then the fat loss phase. Why is it then that like new people who like, it's sort of like they go through this body recomposition and fat loss and like, it's just all Mm. they can do it. Yeah together like mm. why is it that the recon yeah why is it that new yeah. people can do that they don't have much lifting experience <laughs> yeah well because they don't have the muscle yet so because they don't have the muscle on their body they have that huge advantage or what, what we call newbie gains which i'm always like appreciate those newbie gains because when they're gone you'll miss them um and they have yeah their body is just so primed to put on that muscle from this you know, it gets all these adaptations from this new stressor they're introducing. And because they're obviously putting that muscle on quite quickly, that's increasing the metabolic rate quite quickly as well. And it's starting to burn the fat. So obviously what those, you know, maybe their maintenance calories were like 2000, that dent, that actually then becomes a deficit because they have more muscle on their body. So their metabolic rate has increased. So their maintenance calories have increased. So they can just continue eating that. So technically they are in a deficit, but it's what we call recomp. Um, um, so that, yeah, they're cool. building muscle. It is very cool. Um, I find it, it works really well with newbies and also sometimes someone who hasn't trained in a while, they come back to training. Yeah. I find it almost works better for them because they have that muscle memory as well. So say they take a year off or two years off and they come back there, they get those gains really fast again from the muscle memory as well. So um, yeah, you can do it if you're advanced. There are like the, the studies showing that you can do it if you're more advanced, but you have to be super accurate with everything. Yeah. Like your sleep, your recovery, you know, to gain muscle at without a surplus is harder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, how cool is that? Like she, you know, she's, it's quite simple. It's been quite a simple process mm-hmm. but because she's been so consistent with the nutrition and you would see it too in their training. They just, their bodies have just changed. And another great example is, um, we've got these two clients and one is Sean, the other one's another lady who's lost like nearly the same amount of weight, but she hasn't been able to train really. Like she had this back injury, she's working with physio, just doing what she can, lost the same amount of weight, but they look so different because mm-hmm. one's got so much more muscle and the calories that they're eating. Like I think the other lady's eating 18, 1900 calories, Sean's eating 2,400 calories. You know, they walk yeah. the same amount every day pretty much, mm-hmm. you know, but that yeah. just doesn't it the benefit of putting on muscle. Mm-hmm. And even if you don't lose fat, because maybe you're actually in a surplus as a beginner, a slight surplus, and you don't lose fat, if you're putting on muscle, and let's say you say this, you know, you gain a kilo of weight, but your body fat percentage technically doesn't really change, you don't gain fat, because that weight that you gained is muscle, 
you're actually heavier on the scale. You haven't gone into a deficit and yet your body fat percentage has changed because you have more lean mass. Mm. So it, it really is about the ratio. Like, and this is where like oftentimes these girls who come, I tend to get like, you know, they may be, let's say 24% body fat, just as an example. Um, and they're not overweight by any stretch of the imagination, but they don't feel like they want to feel. They don't look the way they want to look. They don't have that, you know, definition, those curves and the places that they want. Mm. It's what women call toned, you know, but it's, it's like a very specific look that they're after. They just kind of more straight up and down, you know, a little bit like, but not overweight. Yeah, they're yeah. the ones who benefit a lot, in my opinion, especially if they're not complete beginners to training and they sort of have had those neural logical adaptations already they're the ones who benefit from going into a slight surplus as well because then the body fat you know it's not going to be 24% body fat anymore because the muscle mass is going to increase mm. so the ratio then changes which is yeah. that's where that real recomp happens that's a really good point with too because you look at like women like it's just and we talk about this too like let's say you're 85 kilos even if you're like my height five foot eight five foot eleven to be an 85 kilo woman that's at like 22 percent body fat you'd have to be fucking jacked as fuck well, like they don't, they don't exist you yeah. probably have to take steroids to do that i reckon yeah so like you reckon like, yeah i just i've never seen that i've never naturally. seen it no same never exactly so even, like even then i i like even like, under, i mean no, maybe no. if you're six foot tall or something yeah 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 yeah, like, yeah. yeah you would but have yeah to. i don't know so i think like someone who's holding who's like higher body weight and higher body fat you're naturally going to lose weight because it's impossible to replace the muscle the amount of muscle with fat Whereas like you're saying these women are like 72 kilos at 24% body fat. So those women need to really build folks on building muscle. And even like, you know, I've had that break from training and training less over nine months. And now we've just gradually started to ramp up the training. And, you know, like yesterday I pushed pretty hard, yeah. you know, as hard as I would push. Mm -hmm. And you can just see my body's gradually changing. Like I'm eating the same food. You know, yeah. but it's just very gradually you can see I'm just getting a little bit leaner, you know, because I'm obviously training getting closer to what I'm truly capable of. But, yeah. you know, I think like, like you say, women who are, would you say, oh, I guess you guys can't give a number. Like it's just so you can't, but like if you're 80 kilos. You love your numbers, Kitty. I do love my numbers. <laughs> yeah. Like it's so unreasonable to think that you're going to be 85 kilos and you're not going to lose some weight on the scales, even yeah. if you build muscle, right? Yeah, but well, if you're 85 kilos, I wouldn't necessarily be eating in a surplus if you wanted to be leaner. In that case, like you could just do it at maintenance. If you're like, if you're a beginner to lifting, and you probably would eventually pretty quickly as well lose weight yeah. because that maintenance would turn into a deficit. Yeah, and patient side, you've got to be patient, hey, because it's not something that's quick. I see so many women, they're like, they try and try and the results aren't quick enough. And then they're like, oh God, I just, I want to throw the talent. And can I just, this is another question that, Oh, something I see a lot too is can you guys talk about training effort so like well, I see this and Craig talks about this constantly like and just you know he was talking about this client the other day like she's finally pulled her finger out of her ass and she's got serious with her training she's training with intensity and effort and you can and now her body's actually changing so can you guys please talk about like let's pretend that things are good and you know your sleep's good and you you don't have all these fucking emotional stresses and you're not like a mess and you're like, yeah, cool, okay, I want to, like, change my body composition and lose some body fat. Like, why is intensity effort important? Like, talk about that. Do you want to go? I think it's important. The intensity word is often hard for people to understand, so I like to use effort better because intensity, you can have those two different directions with it when it's, like, 
you know, how close you're lifting to your one rep max, or it could be the intensity, like a hit class intensity. So oftentimes people don't understand that. Technically the definition is closer to your one rep max, but I, effort is super important um, in terms of, you know, just generating enough mechanical tension on the muscles, which is the driver of muscle. So if you don't like... Libby, for those who are listening to this and they don't understand, sorry. So in a super simplistic way, it's basically when you train with enough mechanical tension is when you're closer to those failure reps. Like when you say you're doing back squats and you're getting really, really close to failure, those reps that are close to failure, like the last three will unintentionally slow down. So you're literally using all these muscle fibers to actually complete those reps. So they're unintentionally slowing down. You can't go any faster. They're literally, you know, you're trying to go as fast as you possibly can, but the reps are slowing down. Those are what I call the effective reps. That's where the magic happens. Mm. So it can be anything. It can be, you know, shoulder press. Like if you're doing seated shoulder press, those last few reps, you can actually feel you're, you're struggling more to do that. So that's in like the really most simplistic way I can put it for people to understand. So if you've ever done a set, if you ever lifted weights and you've felt that towards the end of your set, you can know that those are the reps that are going to get you muscle, build muscle, but they have to also at the same time, be consistent in execution as your very beginning reps apart from that unintentional speed change so they need to stay the same but if you could video them and you're seeing that they're staying the same in you know any movement really i mean the accessory lifts are a little different sometimes but we're talking about like those those compound movements the big ones like leg press or squats or all that um that's where you're you know that's where the magic happens and it's really hard for women to be to get to that point yeah um, I saw a lot of poor effort coming from CrossFit, back, like from a CrossFit background. So that's where I'm not really personally super big on one rep maxes or going, you know, basing things off percentages because it's like that has a really dark side as well. Mm. Um, so I think if you just think in terms of is that set, are you pushing those last reps? I mean, maybe Craig has a better definition. No, not really. So basically it's like if you're not, you know, because I'm simple and don't understand it as deeply as you guys, but like you need to get there to, so your body's got that stimulus to change because we're basically going, I want you to be able to lift more heavier weights. So I have to push you close to like beyond really what I'm currently capable of or close to so that my muscles will go, okay, I'm going to. So it's called the stress threshold (laughs) and you need to go below that. So you need to actually in order to generate the, the mechanical tension or get enough, you know, stress to actually create an adaptation. If yeah. you never go below that threshold and yep. you never push that hard, you're, this is the problem as well. Mm. And I did a post on this yesterday. You're going to get all that fatigue still, particularly if you go quite close to that, you're going to get all the same fatigue, but you're not going to get the actual result. So I was, so I often try and get my girls to film there sets to so we can check those last reps and i'm just like okay well you know that's a very fatiguing set probably because you did 20 reps and maybe it was say whatever 70 percent, but you didn't actually get to those effective ones so you're putting all the same fatigue on your body Mm. and you're not getting the result which is yeah not my idea of fun and um because this is something i hear both of you talk about a lot and craig craps on about it so much i should say just no, that's, passionate, that's, that's a pretty fair comment. <laughs> but about standardizing the reps and ensuring that you're working in, you know, like, and he talks to me about it all the time and I just switch off half the time, like, you know, range of movement, range of, like, yeah. and then like, okay, then you can go too far and get out of what's optimal. And then, you know, so it's like, 
working within the optimal range of movement and Mm -hmm. standardizing the reps. So obviously the last couple aren't going to look as perfect as the first ones, right? So like Craig said to me yesterday, because I was like, look, watch this video. I was like, oh, maybe I didn't do this. And he's like, it's not fucking ballet, Kitty. He's like, what you did was fine. (laughs) It slowed down. Yes, they didn't look as perfect as the first one, but it was good. Your technique was good. So it's like, is it finding that balance between standardizing the reps but pushing hard enough to create that stimulus like get to those last within three finding Mm -hmm. that balance and why is it important to standardize the reps because what happens when you don't do that if they get real filthy at the end yeah well i mean you're it's no longer the same exercise you know at at a basic fundamental level like squats are a perfect example you see people they're squatting down the form's nice they're getting you know really good knee and hip flexion and then all of a sudden they get to those grinder reps and they can't maintain the stability because often with free weight movements, it's the, the stability element and their ability mm-hmm. to brace and, and maintain that that starts to fatigue first, more so than the actual prime muscles that, that, that are moving. So in a squat, what we often see is happening is you know, people lose that upper back tightness, their chest starts to fall forward. And as a symptom of that, as they push out of the hole, the hips shoot up and it turns into more of a good morning. So they're taking... They're actually doing or um, receiving less mechanical tension because the, the weight or the emphasis is being transferred off the quads and being put more into the hips and into the lower back and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And if they could look at it, that was a really, really hard set. And I'm like, yeah, it was. But as Libby was sort of saying before, you've, you've got to the point where you've... Um, extracted the most you can from the movement as it's meant to be and then you've continued on with the set but the actual movement has changed in itself so all you're doing at that point is as i mentioned you're you're, you're taking less stress off the muscles that you're working but you're creating more and more fatigue because you're doing a huge compound movement and it's moving into other areas Whereas you're like, well, I want to work my lower back anyway. It's like, we'll do fucking deadlifts. We'll go and do hyperextensions if you want to do isolate them. Like yeah. the squat is not meant for that. So, you know, the whole point around standardization of the reps is to keep you honest and that you're matching apples with apples and that you can go, okay, squat one, rep one, look the same as rep 10 mm-hmm. for the most part, right? The last couple of reps should look not super pretty, but yeah. not to the point where you're like, okay, that doesn't even look like a squat anymore. <laughs> that looks like a good morning butt wink. Uh, no, what's not, not butt wink. What is it? Uh, twerk, uh, whatever um, movement. And it's just like, that's the point where you, you should have pulled up. And I think, you know, uh, I think movements like a leg press, I think is something where you can get a tremendous amount of stimulus, but yeah. every rep is going to be the same. The only thing you need to worry about on the leg press is whether you're just getting to depth each yeah. time. Yeah. Um, and you know, after that, I mean, like you can't escape. I mean, the, 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 depending on your foot placement, the emphasis on the muscles is going to be the same. Mm-hmm. And, and that's often those kind of movements is where I see the effort levels reducing, you know, and I try oh. to go, that's something that's going to be a really big bang for your buck. Like you don't need to be an amazing lifter to get on a leg press and generate a shit ton of stimulus. That's really going to change your body. Mm-hmm. And you know, like you're, you're not really going to fuck it up that much, <laughs> you know? So, yeah, I mean, exercise selection is probably another conversation we could have, but yeah, you can keep um, it stable. So it's yeah. Most people can get, yeah. sorry. 
Sorry, do you have anything to add to that about the standardization? Um, oh, I no, I agree. I, I mean, so again, like I'm bringing it back to CrossFit because that was like what I did forever. But it's that's one thing I like appreciate about CrossFit is that it was every rep is standardized. So basically it's the term is no rep. So if you're competing and you're not you don't hit that standard range of motion it's considered a no rep. So all throughout training, it's drilled into you as a coach. I was always like, you know, you need to hit below parallel. You need to do this and that. Even just something like an overhead press, your head and torso needs to be through at the top. So everything's standardized and it's super clear cut, like a chest to bar, your chest has to literally touch the bar with a pull up. Um, so I'm totally like, I think that's something that is missing in a lot of people's, like I see it in videos. I get the girls, we're currently doing a challenge in my membership and I see a lot of their spot videos and they're just not hitting full depth. Um, so that's something that's definitely big key, but then there's also the other side to that issue, which is something that probably is not best for muscle building with CrossFit is that everyone finds a way to cheat, to hit the standard, if that makes sense as well. So there's the other side, and I'm sure Craig can attest to this with movements as well, where you're, you're going past the range of motion. That's actually really targeting the muscle you want. And it's putting it into another muscle. For example, in a pull-up, you see a lot of times girls, pull forward at the top in order to hit their chest, like in CrossFit, you know, or even a chin over bar, they pull forward. And then obviously it's bringing the arms behind you. So it's just really getting the upper back rather than, you know, working the lats or working the areas that you want it to. So there's that range of motion that you can sometimes go past as well. Mm. Or like with a dead, a Romanian deadlift, as soon as you hit lower than that, you know, tension point, that real tension on the glutes and you go lower, that's when the back takes over and and like Craig was saying, when that happens, then sometimes you're adding all this systematic fatigue. So then you're actually going to suffer recovery wise for mm -hmm. so much less benefit on yeah. the muscle. So it's, that's where I'm really big on the recovery as well. And you can see like the people that recover best are often the people that have the best movement and the best technique, and they can back it up again because they recover so much quicker. I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. I just wanted to jump in quickly and talk about saturated clean casing. Now, both Libby and Craig rave about this casing. I know Libby has it in her oats every morning and Craig loves to mix it into his custard and he adds blueberries and maple syrup. Now, if you've ever tried unflavored casings in the past, you'll probably agree most of them taste like balls. And the ones that are flavored and actually taste nice have a ton of additives. Saturated clean casing actually tastes pretty good for a pure casing powder. It's 100% pure casein from pasture-raised Australian cows. So what's so great about casein? Well, casein is a major protein found in milk, and it's naturally concentrated in cheeses and well-strained yogurt. Casein is especially useful when taken before bed. It's a particularly slow-digesting protein, and because of this, it helps to prevent muscle breakdown at night and can help you get a better night's sleep. But you can also use it during the day, and I'll often add it to smoothies to increase the protein content. It's also super handy if you struggle to reach your protein goals. When you order clean casein, you also get our recipe book, which has our favorite tried and tested casein recipes, including pancakes, which are my favorite, custard, ice cream, and more. I'll pop a link in the show notes with a discount code you can use to receive a small discount when purchasing. Let's get back to the episode. Then mm. someone who doesn't have that good technique, so then I then it's like the exercise selection. Like Craig said, you have to find an exercise that really works well for you to get that stimulus so that you don't have recovery issues later from, you know, systematic fatigue and all that. Mm, yeah. It's, it's such an awful thing to think. It's just like, man, I'm, I'm really putting in all this effort 
but because my execution and standardization sucks, my fatigue's really, really high, mm-hmm. but I'm also not getting the actual growth stimulus that I From it. Like sucks. That. Yeah. That's like a nightmare right there. That's, mm-hmm. that's just exactly. I think you with women get impatient. Like it's impatience. And I yeah. get it. I'm fucking impatient. But you've just got to, I think, be like I just think about it is I just want to be good at the movement. You know, I want to get the most out of it and I want to be an excellent lifter and just and I keep I always show my videos to Craig. Still now he tells me I oh, do this or do this or you've got to be tighter here or you you didn't, you know, whatever. I don't know the feedback he gives me, but it's like I think you just can always work at it. You know, like mm-hmm. it, but it, it should all just sorry, just just yeah. add a side note to that. Like even like even now, I still record all my videos and I watch it back. But it, it's it's not for anything else that that like I'm trying to keep myself honest. Like even mm. though I've been doing it for so long, yeah. I still need to make sure. And, and sometimes it can be just like if you are doing a slightly high rep set and it's just like you're getting gas. It's like I just miss count. I'm like. Oh my god, this is so hard! <laughs> mm-hmm. And I just I lose count. So I, a lot of times yeah. I can go back and look back and go, oh no, I actually did fifteen reps or whatever it was, and make sure that they're all on point. But it also allows me to kind of um, subjectively kind of go, okay, looking at the video, are the reps really slowing down? How did I yeah. actually feel? And for me, that actually determines what I'm going to do next week should i push the weight up should i keep it the same and improve the quality should i keep it the Mm -hmm. same and just try and get an extra rep you know where like that for me determines a lot of my decisions and i think sometimes people can really get into that point of like yeah the program says this and i'm like Mm -hmm. i agree and i think if you're a novice lifter like that that's just going to serve you for quite a long time but i think in Mm -hmm. ultimately for you to progress you need to be able to modulate your training yourself volume yeah. Yeah, based on your recovery mm-hmm. and uh and then make those decisions it's just like no today is a good day like i'm yeah i'm feeling it yeah today i'm gonna wreck this shit this is gonna be awesome you know like and then there's under other days you're just like there's just no way i'm doing this today <laughs> it's funny that you said that because i was doing like a little while ago i was doing shoulder press with dumbbells and i noticed as well that like when i videoed i wasn't bringing them because i like to touch my shoulder every rep just so i have that Yep. And when it was getting towards the end, I was like slightly not touching it. And I don't, you don't even think about these things sometimes when you're doing it because you're so engrossed in getting those reps out. And if you video it and you can tell, like I video it from the side, I could see that they were slightly higher. So then you can pull yourself up on that before you then go and try and increase the weight, for example. And then all your reps are like that. And you just, you don't, don't even know, like, you know, if it's a real personal best. So then, you know, taking it back and making sure all those last reps still hit that range of motion, you know, for sure you're getting stronger, you know, for sure you're building muscle. Um, And I think that's another key is the reason why we want to standardize the reps is because part of, you know, tracking is tracking accurately is having accurate data and you're not going to have the accurate data. So again, it comes down to kind of not necessarily lying to yourself, but like not having accurate data. So you, you don't know, well, am I gaining fat or am I gaining muscle? And it's like, well, if you're genuinely getting stronger and you have accurate data and you have the range of motion across the board, completely standardized, and you are increasing your weight, so you can know for a fact that you're building muscle because mm. that won't happen unless you're building muscle. So, but you need to have those, the, all those accurate pieces of data everywhere, mm. um, especially if you want to go at it alone without a coach. Like it's super important then to be honest with yourself and to have th- that data. Um, I mean, with our tracking sheets with the girls, with their nutrition, I get them not only to put their macros in each day so that the average comes out at the end of the week, 
but I also get them to, to do a score for me, like on a scale of one to five of their accuracy of tracking, because it's so easy to pre-plan your, your food. And then you don't, you mix something up or you, something doesn't happen, but you don't go back and change it, you know? So then, then they stop and they think, was I accurately tracking this week? And then they can kind of say, maybe it was a three. So then I'm like, okay, well, I'm not going to gauge everything on that because there was not high accuracy levels. And it's the same with training, like mm. were those accurate reps or not, you know? Yep. Sort of like, like I think about it, like when we started working to like, I met you and we just like, you're like, it's this experiment, you know, you can't have all these millions of variables in there because when you're not getting the result that you want, how do you know what to change? Like, what to change? Yeah. Accurately tracking. They're not videoing their lifts. They're not following mm-hmm. their training program. They go, I'm not getting the result I want. You're like, well, I'm blind. I'm literally mm-hmm. blind, right? Like, because yep. it's like, what do I change? Well, I don't know what to change because there's just too many different things happening. And it's like, you know, it, it is, oh, and in a way, I don't even know because I've been there where you just lie to yourself a bit. It's like, we can actually just get really honest with yourself and put everything down. It becomes really clear. Like usually like the coach can come mm-hmm. in and go, this is what you need to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't mind like whinging clients or like I whinge all the time, like I'll whinge to my partner, but it's like, but at the end of the day, you know what you need to do and you have the data there and yeah, it sucks one day or you don't, you're not in the mood or whatever. But then like, so I'm, I'm more like, I'm so much more sympathetic with a client who just sort of fucks it up. They have a whinge, but they have the data and it's all reflective of the fuck up and everything. Then people that you don't, you, you can't even know if you can trust the data because it's just, always so perfect and it's yet they're not getting the results so yeah yeah Yeah, I think it is a lot of like just coming back to being honest with yourself right Mm -hmm. and just you've got to sort of just get out of your own way in a way I think like once you Mm -hmm. sort of get that your mindset sort of head around and go yeah I'm committed to this I'm gonna you know go all in and I'm just you know even if I make mistakes I'm still going to keep going and I'm committed to becoming this better not better but different person because obviously you start these programs for a reason you know like Mm -hmm. and it might take longer than you think most likely because everyone wants it quick and you're going to have these failures along the way but you've just got to be going all in doesn't mean that you don't make mistakes it doesn't mean that you you know are perfect because like we all say there's no such fucking thing as perfect but you do have to be mostly consistent because you can't like you know (laughs) be like oh, I'm just not going to track or do anything and then oh, I'm wondering why I'm putting on um putting on body fat so yeah I think a lot of it comes back to that just really owning it now what do you so if someone was um like come into this pro-metabolic world <laughs> how would what would you suggest to, to do initially would you say like track your food for a few weeks and see where you're at like would that be a good idea like if they have no idea what they're eating Mm-hmm. Would you, Craig, say- you want to go? Uh, y- yeah. Um, oh, that, that's such a context-driven thing because it's it, it depends on the person and and everything. Okay, <laughs> all right. So maybe I need to reframe it. the question but, but, then. But, but, what what is the biggest issue? Why you think these women are all gaining body fat? Is it just because they're not tracking and they're increasing their calories typically? I usually say just track something because oftentimes they find that it's super daunting to track everything. So I might say, you know, what you, what you should probably start with is just tracking how much, you know, you're eating per se, write down everything you eat for three days of the week, add that up, see what it comes to. And then, you know, they can build from there because I think, again, I think it comes down to that. They don't want to go all in completely. They want to learn it like with everything, you know, you don't go from zero to a hundred and I get that. And it's, it's daunting and it's, 
and it's and I'm I'll admit it's hard work to learn how to track like it's hard right you have to learn a brand new skill but I think that it's that taking that little bit of action that's empowering and if they can just track one thing like related to their intake of course that will get them on that right track because they'll get that aha moment they'll see oh like they might see like my fats at 120 grams a day like that's probably my issue right there why don't I just bring my fat down you know what I mean like you don't have to go from nothing to everything but then if you uh, if you have a body composition goal you do have to track like I feel like it's it's pretty easy to learn how to maintain without tracking super accurately, you can kind of do like, you know, the hand measurements and that you can probably maintain, but if you put all this weight on and you have a body composition goal, you're going to have to track. Mm. That's the way I look at it. And it's not forever, right, Libby? Like once no. say you get to your goal and like your yeah. maintenance. It's definitely not forever. And I think a lot of people need to also realize that the reason why other diets work, all these other diets, it comes down to calories are being removed somehow. And if you can grasp that, you can clearly understand that in your head because you might look at, you know, Susan at, you know, HQ who's, you know, lost all this weight from keto and friggin' Linda who goes to group exercise with you and she became vegan and lost all this weight. And they have all these grand stories, but at the end of the day, they literally removed something from their diet. So they removed, like, for example, keto, they've taken an entire macronutrient out, they've cut it out, vegan probably took all this meat out, which is high fat. So it always comes down to a calorie deficit. So if you're in pro metabolic, if you come from metabolic world, and rather than removing things from your diet, you start adding all this stuff, Mm. it's going to be a surplus, unless you have a way to track it. So, Mm. you know, it's, there's got to be some sort of data there. Yeah. I was sorry. I was, I was just going to allude to it before. I think, um, I think when anyone starts, ideally getting about two weeks worth of just data, because you can see two weeks worth of what their eating habits are like during the week, because they're often very different on the weekends as well. Mm-hmm. And then you get like two weeks just gives you a really good understanding. Okay. Now I could work out an average of calories and look at their eating habits. Are they eating a bit more high fat to low carb? As you mentioned, or are they eating more carbs? Are they really low protein? And that gives you a really good understanding of going, okay, we've got two weeks of this data. It's presenting all of this. It, it's, it's as clear as day what we need to change. And then if you've, you've done a body composition test with them, it's very easy to then go, okay, this is the calorie range we want to start out relative to your goal, relative to your goal. This is the protein intake again, relative to your goal is not as important. Carbs and fats, which one do you prefer? Generally from a pro-metabolic standpoint, we want to be fueling with carbohydrates. But if you're going to be consistent a little bit more with having a bit higher fat, I'm more partial to that because I don't really give a shit. I just want you to be consistent. So let's just start Mm. here. If we've already determined that calories are ultimately determining if you're gaining or losing weight, then, you know, the ratio between carbs, that's not so important down the road. Mm-hmm. If you become more of that athlete, yes, it becomes more important. More important. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think, I think that's really, really important. And often, um, so the, the process that we go through now, uh, in our program is, you know, the first two weeks is just establishing maintenance calories. And, you know, that's mm-hmm. the phase that you're in. Yeah. And coaches literally use that two weeks to assess all of this stuff. And then if the person say, look, I really want to lose all this body fat and whatever, muscle and training aside they can go in the nicest possible way your your eating behavior is fucking terrible so mm-hmm. let's just park this for now and let's just use the next two build weeks the habits 
yeah. build the habits exactly you know um i think you've spoken about this before but um eric helms with his nutrition pyramid yeah. like he's laid it out like it like he, he he has really thought of it it's the pyramid at the bottom before everything else it's lifestyle and behavior mm-hmm. and it's calories and it's macros and then it's micronutrients and all that sort of stuff and i think that is a really good um visualization for people to to grasp that concept into order of the priorities mm-hmm. that like none of the macros and the calories and all of this stuff matters if you're still binge eating if you're not tracking if you have no idea of where you are now if you want to get to somewhere you need to know where you are now in order to make the changes to get there like that's mm-hmm. where it has to begin and i think when people switch over to a pro-metabolic diet um it's they're eating a certain way with certain habits they've given been given permission that sugar is okay and all of these mm-hmm. foods are really really good and they're, they're coupling it with really highly palatable foods you know, mm-hmm. things that, that do contain carbs and fats and, you know, drink more milk and whatever. So it's just like you've got calories on top of calories and potentially still adding alcohol into that mix as well. And, and it's just if, if you have no idea really what you're consuming or, or making an effort to understand that, that's where shit's going to go pear-shaped very, very mm-hmm. quickly. And that's ultimately my experience. Yeah, same. The whole... If, so if they wanted to do it on their own, as in, I know, like, um, probably maybe some people can't afford coaching for whatever reason. Would they, would you recommend, Craig, that they learn how to track? I mean, I know that's like the great, the best way, but is there, could they have success at not gaining healing pounds without tracking? 100%. Yeah. And with, no, she, she's saying without tracking. With, with it? No. So you could have success. That would depend on the person. Now, I, again, I'm context-driven. If you are somebody who's self-driven and you were going by a, a no, princi- no, she's principle, saying if you don't track your food, not saying if you can you do it on your own without a coach. So no, they, fuck no. no yeah. Sorry, I misunderstood. No. <laughs> That's what I meant. Yeah, sorry, yeah. Sorry, no, no. I, I misunderstood. Yes, you could do it without a coach if you could learn how to track properly. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah, sorry, yeah. Right. yeah. yeah. So no, what I was saying no. is, if they don't want to, they don't want to get a coach to help with tracking and teaching them that, but they don't want to track either, but they do want to eat pro metabolic without gaining healing pounds yeah yeah Yeah. that's not yeah i'm yet to to see anyone Mm. do it i think i think even like if they if they use like because sometimes i talk about i have a continuum with tracking so you have like all the way down the very lowest level right up to like the you know tracking down to the ground for example protein carbs and fats they could, like you said, they could probably try and just do total calories and maybe protein, making sure I think protein is super important and then let kind of the carbs and fats fall. Um, would they would they ha- be able to do it even with things like making sure that they kind of eat more solid foods versus going straight to like the juice for everything and, you know, the super quick digesting type foods? Because um, I think that a lot of people probably, like we said, have no idea about quantity whatsoever. Yeah. I think that's, yeah, yeah, it's a really good point. One of our um, coach, uh, this guy we used to was in our business coaching group, he has a gym and he has like just basic tracking and that's what he does with his clients. Like everyone's just like, here's your calories, here's your protein. You've got to hit Mm -hmm. that and then the carbs and fat and that's where he'd start them. So that might be a really good way, just hit the calorie target, hit the protein. And some days- Well, that's what I do with some of my clients when they're in like maintenance phases. So we will do like a, say, a fat loss phase and then they want to go to a maintenance phase and they don't want to track crazy anymore i'm like yeah we're just doing calories and protein yep. um 
because that gives them more flexibility. I know then that whole, the whole blood sugar issue comes into question and people are really crazy about that. Like two times carbs, one time protein per meal, you know? So then you just have to be careful that there's enough carbs left over to actually balance your blood sugar with the protein and you're not going crazy high on the fat, but that it's could be a good like option. Relatively, I'd say like, even when I've done that before, I, st- I still eat more carbs. Like I never eat yeah. high fat. I think you've still got to balance it, right? Like don't go, yeah. I'm just going to eat so much fat in one meal and then I'm fucked with it or so much carbs. It's still, you still got to mm-hmm. use the basic principles, right? Like mm-hmm. set your meals if you're going to eat four meals or five mm-hmm. meals, six meals, whatever, and then try and roughly, you know. Balance it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. roughly. And- and I also like to tell people to just try to have like a one meal that's more of a fattier meat meal a day, not like every single meal or like, you know, keep the other ones quite lean. Even if you're going to go and use like lean dairy, for example, like low fat or fat free yogurts, you know, and then just be aware like throughout the, the different meals. Cause uh, yeah, I think it's, it's a lack of awareness and a lack of tracking. Yep. That's yep. do you get this a lot too? Lily? Like people watch my, when I, what I eat and they're like, Oh, why do you eat low fat dairy? Why do you eat low mm-hmm. fat? Like, like, then they're like, oh, isn't it bad for you? Like, isn't low-fat dairy? Bad? Yeah, so I think that, that that's a misconception as well with the pro-metabolic is that you can't have anything low-fat because you need the fat-soluble vitamins, right? Which So this is something I actually learned from Jessica Ash, which was interesting. Mm. And it was when you were in a fat loss phase, you shouldn't automatically just go towards like the olive oil and the coconut oil to fill up your fat at the end and just have everything super lean. Mm. Because so she was talking about this with, and, and I was like having an aha moment because that isn't exactly pro-metabolic either because you do need those fat soluble vitamins Mm. so i think that it's important to keep them in as best as you can even if it means going like low fat not fat free dairy um or if you're going to have like a little bit of butter cook your eggs in a bit of butter have like some egg white some whole eggs so keep some of the fats in there but you don't you don't want to completely remove them so i know a lot of people will just go completely lean like greek you know fat-free yogurt, egg whites only, only chicken breast only, but you get zero fat soluble vitamins in your diet that way. And then they'll just use coconut oil and olive oil, which doesn't have the fat soluble vitamins. So you actually are missing out. So it's important to have them, but then in the pro-metabolic space, a lot of people are just so obsessed with them to the point that they don't, they don't realize you just need a little bit of them each day. You don't need to have like your food drenched in fat. Yeah, you don't, you need a certain amount of fat in your diet, obviously. Yeah. But it's like, yeah. people, I think, overestimate how much you need. Yeah. You know, like- and, there, and it's also lazy because I get that it's easier to track all. So when you're in a fat loss phase, it's easy to just track completely lean and then just dump coconut oil on top of that to yeah, fill yeah. up your fat. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's not, not necessarily lazy, but it's easier to do it that way. But, and, I, and then that's the other extreme. So I get that there's those two extremes, but I think you can find that happy medium where you're still losing fat and you're still including the fat soluble vitamins. I mean, that's what I try to get my clients to do. So I try and look at the fat intake and I'm like, can we not have so much coconut oil, not too much olive oil, a little bit more butter, a little bit cooking your ghee instead, you know, because we're, in, you know, so I think that you just need to find that balance. You don't need, you only need a certain amount of fat soluble vitamins. You don't need. Exactly. Yeah. I think if you just like, I find it's easy to kick. Well, I don't eat super low fat, but it's not like, you know, it might be 60, 70 grams a day. Some days if I just eat whatever, it'll be over, but that's not obviously always, but it's easy if you just drink light milk, you know, mm-hmm. light cheese, have some whole cheese, eat eggs, mm-hmm. hey, use butter. I'm the same, use butter for cooking if I make mashed potato butter. And like, you can easily find that balance. You just don't want to yeah. go great. Like, have ice cream at night, which has cream in it, obviously. And then yeah. you use light milk to make up the rest. So it's not like, yeah. 
that. Yeah, I think it's just the extremes, right? People just mm-hmm. go to the I extremes. Think, I think also with that, like if you, you bring it back to the point, like when we're looking at like macronutrient ratios, like how much protein we need if we're talking about like building muscle, even if you're not training, you, you know, you still kind of need X amount based on body weight and that sort of thing. Yeah. Obviously carbs you would need just for energy primarily and obviously other vitamins, minerals, et cetera. But, and then, you know, fat, obviously, as you mentioned, you need sort of fat soluble vitamins, but obviously depending on how you eat, but for most people, I think if you're including a lot of the, the things like the whole eggs, the dairy, it's, 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 liver, it's, like... it's, it's, it's providing the, uh, by you hitting your protein target, you're almost automatically hitting your fat target. And that's the Mm. kind of simplicity that I think nature at its fundamental level can provide. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't Mm -hmm. need to overthink that part too much. Do you know? And if you're you're trying to do the pro-metabolic thing, but you're having to add all of this oil in because of, I'm like, well, you're you're not thinking. You're not doing it right. Yeah. The way it's meant to be done. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. I mean, after that, once you hit, you kind of hit your, your, your fat by default, by the way you eat protein. And then it's just like, then yeah, you just look at your carbs as, well, what do I enjoy? You know, mm-hmm. like I like to eat these fruits and I like to eat, you know, whatever it is. That's very easy to fill in that gap for the rest of your calories. Mm-hmm. It's funny. Yeah. This will probably be a lot to talk about this, but <laughs> you know, like it's some people, you know, eat a lot of rice or a lot of oats or like some people like fruit, some people like juice, you know, like I just yeah. love I don't know why. Like I've just got this addiction to orange juice. I just and potatoes. I just air fry potatoes. I don't know why. Like and you know, like you like rice. Yeah. I think deep down you're Asian. Love rice. Yeah, I love rice. I'm Asian. Yeah. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. (laughs) Like, like, oh, you shouldn't eat rice because it's it's not that um, nutrient dense. Just starch. Yeah, but not brown rice. Yeah. If if you're eating, if you're eating eggs and eating liver and eating shellfish and eating dairy, you're getting the nutrients. Like Mm -hmm. at a point, once you get the nutrients, like someone like you who's very active, it's energy. Mm-hmm. I just and think- I find it's more satiable for me. So, for example, if I just pounded the sugar, I would just be hungry again. Like, because I go through, I burn through it fast. So, you you know, you have to take into consideration the individual as well. Like, yeah. it's what's what makes you feel good, what makes you feel satiated. You know, fruit doesn't do it for me for long term. Like, I mean, I love fruit and I'll eat it with other carbs. But if I just had fruit on its own with protein i would be hungry again in like half an hour and just mm. digest it so fast for me so mm. yeah. yeah i think yeah. you're right like finding again it's like if you actually learn how to meal plan like you don't give women we have example meal plans in our program we teach everyone but so you've got to find what you like like i look at yeah. meal sometimes i think that's so shit but you're not so shit but i'm like i would just never eat that like that's so boring like i just love yeah. like, i don't know why i just love air fried potato chips juice steak or fish or yeah. whatever, you know like and you put yeah. You love your oats, you know. You love. <laughs> you love I love oats food. and fruit and yeah. rice. Yeah, it's just, I love sourdough. Yeah, sourdough is the bomb, isn't it? It's finding what mm. works for you and what you like because it's like obviously it's easy to be consistent when you're eating the things you enjoy. Mm. Yeah, you yeah. Know? So, and I think the more muscle you have, the more carbs you can handle, which is another point as well. Which is why a lot of these, you know, people that have the healing pounds probably would do better off building muscle so they can actually be a little bit more insulin sensitive Mm. and digest everything better you utilize the food they're eating better as opposed to just gaining more and more fat so you know you want your body to actually utilize that energy and if it's literally constantly storing it as fat it's not being utilized it's being saved up so Mm. the goal with eating and building muscle should always be to you know better utilize energy get it circulating 
And this is another reason why I'm, I'm really big on activity levels and a little bit of cardio. And it's like, teach your body how to use energy. So you can actually give your body more energy and then it will use it much better. And, you know, you'll build more muscle. Like, obviously I can handle high levels of rice and carbs because, you know, like you as well, we have muscle. So, you, you know, your body just needs it. It uses it, it stores it as glycogen right away. Like it replenishes after you train it puts more glycogen back into the muscle. If you don't have that muscle, what is it going to do with it? You know, store it as fat. You know, what I think too, that's one of the reasons I like to be strong and strong because I just want to eat more food. Eat more. <laughs> yeah. I just love food. I'm like, oh, I just want to be able to eat like, you know, yeah. 5,000 yeah. calories a day. Or, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. that's extreme. But, you know, I just don't want to. I can obviously eat way more now than I could when I was, you know, just doing hit and boot camps that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Libby, okay, let's talk about cause one of your favourite topics. Um, actually, before I ask that, I just want to, because you touched on this too, about activity levels. And Craig yeah. talked a lot about this in our program. And, like, you know, I know you guys both do these sort of things. It's interesting, like, because we talk about this all the time. Like, I've never had a step target because I'm just a naturally active person. Like, I go for my walk every day. I'm really consistent. Yeah. I just am consistent. And once we got these yeah. rings, and it's interesting to look at the data and, like, I just naturally every day do more steps than Craig, always, nearly consistently. Because like, <laughs> you're an energizer bunny. Yeah, yeah. You know, washing dishes gives you steps, everything. Oh, yeah, it's it, it, yeah. Pushing, that's why. But, you know, like <laughs> people aren't naturally sure. active and like Craig will get them probably like you to go, let's get a step tracker. And they're like, oh, mm-hmm. I'm doing 3,000 steps. And that, mm-hmm. you know, what would you guys say? Let's say for someone who's not like me, who's naturally just likes to walk and is active, what would you guys say is a good step target to aim for every day if they need something to aim for? Um, I would probably build it up. So I don't go from like 2,000 to 10,000, but I would probably want to get them so there's actually studies that show that anything it's interesting because it goes from like you know nothing and it goes up to around ten thousand, and then it just these is like the health benefits and then it just kind of levels off and then obviously it actually goes down when it gets like too crazy as far as activity levels like we're talking like past twenty thousand. so um the study shows that you have huge health benefits from up to about eight thousand. so that's where you you know eight thousand ten thousand 12,000, even 15,000, really great benefits. But anything under than five, anything under 5,000 is considered sedentary. And that's where there's, it's like a, it's a, it's definitely a pretty big higher risk with, you know, all cause morbidity, morbidity, whatever you say, however you call it. Um, yeah. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a huge health, like just from a longevity perspective. It's so easy too. walking so yeah. easy. Like you don't need some skill. Yeah. <laughs> You know, like anyone can get out, I mean, unless they're full lockdown, they can't get out. So, you know, like, and getting sunshine too is awesome. So maybe like, could someone go, okay, like I don't have a step tracker, but could they go like, I'm just going to start by walking half an hour every day Yeah. or however, I don't know, like set a target and say, or even I'm just going to do it, like you say, build up gradually. I might do it three days a week. And then I'm going to do it four days a week. And then I'm going to increase Craig's body, all his body alarms on his phone, when to eat, when to train, when to like, cause he gets busy and he doesn't. Yeah, we joke about how we're going to put this thing on there of me going, to, reminding him to eat. But, like, would you say, obviously, like, you could, so maybe some of the trackers, you've got, like, the whoop. That's what you've got, eh? The whoop. Is that what it's called? The whoop? Yeah. Oh, your, your, doesn't yeah. do, is it? Yeah, I'm going to take this out. I think they're going. Oh, no, now it's gone. Your sound's gone. Oh. Still no sound. I think maybe it's still connected to your, did it switch over? That's better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I can't hear yours. Ah, uh, that's oh, yeah, no, I can. Yeah. I can. 
Sorry um, about that. Yeah, because obviously you've got the trackers, right? So we've got the aura ring, the whoop. Yeah, so the rope doesn't track steps, which is annoying. Um, but you don't need to have a you don't need to have a um, fancy tracker for your steps. You can just have you know you can even have the ones that are just like the pedometer. They just track your steps, and there's no Bluetooth involved because people are funny about Bluetooth sometimes. Also, so you know you can do that, or you could just like yeah, uh, you could just go for like two walks, two 20 minute walks to start. You know, yeah. ten minute walks after you eat, like um, and yeah. Those are great, you know, good for digestion and that as well. So you don't have to start. I think people, again, they, they think they need to go to a hundred from zero when you don't, you know, you don't. and there's like one of my clients, she said that she has, um, she's like, she's quite overweight and she's got swollen ankles and she struggles to even walk. So I tell her to jump on a bike. Cause I'm like, we need to start with the movement and that's the walking is more impact. So she's doing better just on a bike. So it, it's super in, individual, like, but you just want to move. You want the blood circulating. You want the lymphatic system working as well. So, yeah. It makes you happy too. Like I always think, oh, I feel so happy after I go for my walk in the sun. <laughs> yeah. 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 Take the dogs for a walk as well. And um, okay, cool. So let's then Libby talk a bit about recovery. Cause it's like, obviously you want to go into the gym and lift the weights and get stronger. But if you're not recovering, yeah. So it, to me, the, the recovery is a big thing that holds people back as well, because they're not able to actually recover from the session that they just did. And then they try and go into the next session and they're still in that sympathetic state. They're still un, under recovered. And then it just turns into that recovery debt. Mm. So I think this is really key as well. It's just, you know, making sure that you're treating your recovery as important as you're treating your training sessions. And I like to think of it in terms of three different energy, I guess, buckets that you can draw from. And you've got like the, obviously like the metabolic processes as the one that you can't really, that you can't really do anything about that. It just, you know, your body takes energy just to keep you alive, to keep your heart beating. And then you have your output one. And a lot of people stop there and they're like, you need to have enough energy to do all this training that you're doing. So therefore you need to eat more food. Right. But they don't realize then there's that third recovery. And that's like the, the bucket of recovery. And that's the, reco- um, the third bucket of energy and that's the recovery one. So that's where that is a huge energy coster as well. Like just to recover, think about like building muscle. I mean, I, I almost picture it in my mind, like the muscle breaking down and then the muscle having to literally regrow into something bigger, you know, the same with fitness. If it's, if you're a fitness person becoming fitter, the process of that is huge recovery cost. So it's, yeah, it's making sure that you're keeping that at the forefront. And I often say, you know, you need to train to recover, mm. So train as much as you need to, to get the result that you can actually still recover from. Um, but you do have to push past that as well. Like you have to train hard enough. So that's where there's that balance. And I think that making like recovery is different for everyone. What, what someone needs, someone else doesn't need. They might need a different intervention. They might need, you know, a little bit more relaxation. And I can go like into the whole stimulus recovery versus, I guess, more relaxation, passive recovery. And I feel like that's based on your, your autonomic nervous system deficiency. So if you're someone who is like, for me, I'm quite nervous system sensitive. So I feel right away when I need to, you know, bring it down, become more parasympathetic. Whereas some people, I feel like they're almost stuck in what I call like the freeze state because there's fight, flight or freeze. They just, they're very, I guess they're not adaptable with their nervous system. So they can't get out of the sympathetic state and into the parasympathetic state, which is where all these 
anabolic recovery processes happen and they just stay there. And this is often that, you know, stress intolerance type thing. Um, So I think for them, it's often like they almost need to do that sympathetic thing to jumpstart it, Mm. which is where I say, don't just sit down. You need to go and you need to go for a walk. You need to move more. You need to stay active. And that actually benefits them in the long term with the recovery more than if they just did nothing the day after they train. So I think depending on where, like as a high CrossFit athlete, all I needed to do was just rest. You know what I mean? Like I didn't need any stimulus. I did enough. So for that, again, that deficiency, that um, nervous system deficiency, where it is and what, what sort of recovery intervention you need to use yourself. Yeah. And I always, I mean, I've just noticed when I walk after, like, cause I just walk every day in the sun, I feel better. Like days, some days where I've like gone, Oh fuck, I've been, I go for a walk, just something's happened at work and I've had an early meeting that I feel so sore, you yeah. know, but you really notice the difference. And like Craig, he really, he's got, he's got this little stationary bike in his yeah. <laughs> office and often how hey, you're like, instead of this. Yeah, and he'll get on his bike and, and just use that yeah. rate up a bit into like the higher. Maybe talk about that actually. You know, like but just heart rate, heart rate. You know, like he'll yeah. he talks about like, the oh, zones. Yeah, the, the zones. zones. Yeah, I'm getting my heart rate up into like and I'm like, oh, you sound like maybe you know, he's like and talks anyway. You guys talk about it. Yeah, <laughs> I think that you you can use the aerobic system to help recovery as well. Um, and there's different zones. So with um, the first zone, that's probably something that pretty much everyone can do. So zone one, that's like just walking. Um, for me personally, because I'm quite, I'm a little bit more advanced in training. I like to go into zone two and sometimes zone three. So that's where my heart rate will be around like 140. Um, it's such a good place though because it's actually still in that low aerobic um parasympathetic state Mm -hmm. so it's very conducive towards recovery you're not getting any sort of like glycogen depleting you're not getting any um you know like when you're doing eccentric work where it's really lactic acid building you're not getting any of that you're just getting that aerobic sort of recovery parasympathetic work Um, it actually boosts your recovery so it's helping more oxygen get around your body and that and then what also i find it does it helps me with my um work capacity so when i am doing my training i just recover much faster. Um, I recover in between sessions heaps faster, but I also recover in between sets because this is something I've noticed as well with people that don't do any of this at all is that they really struggle. Like they'll have to, because I get my clients to, to do their heart rate when they finish, say a really heavy set of squats mm-hmm. and time how long it takes to come back to baseline, which is say it's like 70 baseline, right? And some of them, it will take like five minutes. So they're literally rather than that energy going towards like the muscles recovering for the next set, it's literally just trying to get the heart rate back down. So then it's, you know, this obviously gets better the more you train, but sometimes I find that just adding in those little bit more of those sessions, which I call recovery sessions in between helps their recovery in between sets as well. So it can't be anything extreme though, because obviously you're not wanting to take, you're not wanting to take energy away and use up energy on that so it's got to you've got to be strict on that heart rate because once it gets up to it says like zone three and zone four mm-hmm. that's where you start hitting that anaerobic threshold mm-hmm. that's the really um stressful type of training and that's where pretty much every like group exercise person stays every day so that's mm-hmm. where i'm talking about junk training where you're not even getting the results mm-hmm. but you're getting all the stress so there's i, I like I like the bottom of like the zones. And then I also like the very top because I'm naturally a sprinter. So I'm fast. And, For sure. um, yeah, well, that's like not even the same. That's not even anaerobic. That's like the phosphate creatine yeah. 10 second sprint. So it doesn't even use glycogen. 
it's completely different, like a 50 or a hundred meter sprint and then like a nice recovery before you do it again. Um, so what could be some, oh, sorry, sorry. I was going to say, what would be some examples, like you talked about doing this zone too, like what would you do and for how long? So I do really like a bike. I mean, I don't have one at home, but I would jump on a bike mm-hmm. um, because it's less impact. Like if, if you go for a run, you also have to deal with, you know, it's quite stressful on the joints and it's high impact. And unless you have like perfect running form, which most people don't, you're going to add stress just in those other ways too. So I would do like for, you know, between probably start with like 20 minutes for someone who's just starting out. Mm-hmm. And then I would bump it up to around 45 minutes and I, it's, it's called cardiac output and you can build a base. And then once you have that base, you can literally just sustain it with like once or twice a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really does benefit everything as far as like your recovery, but building the base, I would probably start with just 20 minutes and just keep an eye on your heart rate. And obviously if it starts creeping up, you just got to slow it, slow the intensity down. So, you know, obviously pedal slower or whatever it is. A bike's fine. You know, you could do it walking, like oftentimes walking with a weight vest. I love that. Mm. Um, it's gets the heart rate up more than just walking with nothing. So, you know, focus on your breathing. Just, I could easily get my heart rate in the zone if I was brisk walking with a weight vest on. Mm. So you um, just obviously a heart rate monitor. Obviously. Yeah, I, yeah. Well, I wouldn't. I would do it personally without a heart rate monitor because I kind of can tell. You can. T- it, it should be something that you can still have a conversation. Um, it's a little bit more than just walking. So it's hard to have a conversation, but you can still have a conversation if that makes sense. And you can still always breathe through your nose. You don't have to do mouth breathing. Um, but yeah, that's pretty, it's, there's like quite a lot of research that shows that that does help facilitate recovery because that it's that aerobic state that drives the parasympathetic state. So, and that, and that also helps to lower the heart rate, sorry, to raise the heart rate variability. Mm which is a sign that you're pretty much recovered for your next session. If you're using heart rate variability, that's like a whole other topic. But yeah. that, that basically just means you're, when you have high heart rate variability, it means that you're a lot more adaptable between, and flexible with your um, parasympathetic and sympathetic state. So you're easily, you can easily go into it one and come out and go into the other and come out. And that's kind of the goal for most of most everyone really, if you're really stress intolerant, that means you're inflexible with your nervous system. So you cannot handle the stress because you can't come, you're going into a sympathetic state because you have a stressor put on your body, like training, for example, and you just can't get out of it easily because you're inflexible. So when you have a high heart rate variability, that means that you're very flexible. And for me personally, it's also the way that I can gauge my recovery because I don't really change much in terms of like my sleep that much or like my temperatures, you know, they're pretty stable. Like I'm very physically stable. I think that's from my CrossFit background. I'm just very, I recover physically very fast, but my nervous system just is so different. Like my heart rate variability will plummet and I'll wake up and I'll feel really tired and exhausted, but I slept fine. Everything else is fine. But my heart rate variability is low. Mm. So for me, like, I know we don't need that as well. Like, you know, we can, we can yeah, sorry, I think how we feel. But it does help yeah. a little bit. Yeah, I think ladies don't like, 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 when I hear you guys focus on the basics first, like get your strength, yeah. training, maybe walk, you know, like build up to this. This is, this is a little bit more advanced. This is more yeah. if you were like an athlete or you are really serious about your training and then you're struggling with recovery and, yeah. Yeah, because I think, you yeah, know, sometimes <laughs> yeah, women can be like, oh, I want to try and take all these advanced supplements and do this and do that. It's like just get the basics yeah. right, hey, build up, and then you're like, cool, I'm doing this consistently. Yeah. And I'm going to try um, yeah. adding this in to get me to that next level. Hey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also think about your intent and your reason for doing it. 
Because yeah. I think a lot of pe- women will be like, yeah, like Libby says, let's do some cardio. I'm going to go do some cardio. But it's like, wh- what's your reason though? If you're trying to go burn more calories, you're so not doing it for the right reason. And it's like, it comes back to, again, being really honest with yourself about why you're doing it. If you genuinely like you, like for me, I want to build more muscle. I want to, you know, I want to be stronger mm. and I want to do those things that facilitate recovery for me personally, because I know it will help me in the long run. So yeah, like you say, I think you're right. Like you've really got to dig deep and ask yourself like why um, why the, um, why the, you're doing it because mm-hmm. it's like I think so many women that come to us. And they want to just do everything to lose weight. Yeah, because I said to you, you know, I was texting you before we do. I'm like, oh, you know, I'll, I'll try some of this stuff because it's like I'm an advanced lifter and, you know, like I feel yeah. like I recover fine. Like I don't feel like I'm, you know, fucked in between sets or whatever. But, you know, you always think, well, could I be better? Yeah, exactly. But I recover better and I'm like, well, like, you know, it's always fun to try new things. Craig's got a bike, you know. I can only try it. Does he have a stationary bike? Yeah, he's got the stationary bike. So a desk bike? Like, can he use it while he's working? Uh, it's not a desk bike, eh? Hey? I've seen those. I'm like, wow. <laughs> that would be cool. Yeah, no. Yeah. It's, I mean... I could, I could literally pedal there. Like I could stand and pedal yeah. or something like that. But, but you'd be, yeah, wouldn't be very, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't know. Like, uh, um, yeah, that's really cool. You know what we could do, Libby, is I'll get you on later down the track and we could do a separate podcast. You just talk all about HRV. So for any of the women yeah. that, you know, well, are advanced, um, yeah. advanced and they can go, okay, cool, I'm here with my training. And, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, we could even use me as, as an experiment. Yeah, we could. That's true. You know, like I'm really getting back into my training now. So like for me, I'm lifting those heavier weights. Like yesterday was a hard session. Let's see if I can improve your recovery recovery and make more progress because obviously I love progress, you know. Mm -hmm. I was talking about it a bit with Jayton on his podcast and I was saying how I think it also depends on where you're sensitive, more sensitive with recovery. And some people it wouldn't even make a difference probably, whereas other people it would, so... Yeah. Like some people just genuinely probably need to restore their glycogen levels. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. for me, it's like, sometimes I feel it's a little bit more nervous system related, my recovery. So I, and I was telling him as well, I find like, that's why I love eggs. For example, there's certain foods like choline rich foods, which yeah. really helps CNS recovery and that. And it might also be more of an advanced lifter when you get, when you've been doing it for so many years, you start to need different, yeah, different strategies for recovery. Mm. Yeah. It's all very interesting. And I love a good experiment. Yeah. <laughs> um, just want to think if there's any other questions that we haven't covered that I wanted to talk about. I don't think so. Do you guys, is there anything else you think that we've missed? Mm. I think the big thing hammer home is the tracking, right? Like guys, you've got to yeah. like track the food. You can probably minimize a lot of your fat gain if you track and be consistent. Cause mm-hmm. if you eat in those, nutrient nutrient dense foods and eat at maintenance if, if you're someone who's very lean and you know like or a little bit of a surplus I don't know it's it's too hard like again that's I think the other place where women go wrong is that they go it's one size fits all and it's not mm-hmm. like the approach like we just talked about you were saying like if you've got a woman who's 24 percent body fat she's medium sort of you know strength levels not mm-hmm. intermediate lifter for her it's about eating in a bit of a surplus building muscle that's yeah. what we do. But for someone who's 85 kilos, 45% body fat, you can Perfect. eat maintenance, build the muscle, which turns into a deficit and they lose it. Yeah. You know, like, so yeah. it's like, it's this real, you can't go like everyone has to do the same thing. Yeah. There's no magic pill that just works across the board. No. Yeah. But I think the, the consistent things is we all want to strength train, right? Build some muscle. 
Mm-hmm. Everyone. Everyone should. I, I would say 100%. Yeah. Regardless of whether you're trying to lose body fat or yeah. trying to, like, it's, we should all build muscle. And then I guess it's more the strategy around the food. Yeah. And I think just really getting across the point that if you build muscle, you will like the way you look so much better because it comes, it, it really is. It's yeah. There's all these other benefits, but at the end of the day, a lot of women are like, I just don't like my body. I don't want to be bigger. I don't want to be fatter, you know, whatever it is, but it's like, well, rather than always focusing on just like less calories, less, this just really change your focus. And, and, you know, if, if you have to make it be about that, make it be about that, whatever drives you, whatever motivates you, like, I'm fine with that, you know, mm. but it, it really is a key part of body composition changing building muscle I mean huge part of it and it's fun mm-hmm. like, it really get into lifting it's fun. like even like yesterday like I've been doing this for years like you know I still get excited you know like and we haven't hack squatted for so long or that beast whatever the fuck it is you know and we're like I'm like oh this is exciting because I've done this exercise for a while you know like it's a bit new um yeah. it's not new but like I still want to and I've still got these goals you know like yeah. you were talking about your goals like you and Jamie like how like running down and seeing how many chin-ups you yeah. can do and I'm like oh, I've got yeah. these goals for my squat like it's still exciting I think yeah. if you get excited about being better and being good at the skill it'll just be so much easier and there's be always thinking oh you know I hate this and I just want to be lean and I just you know like get excited about being an athlete you know mm-hmm. develop that athlete's mindset yeah and it'll just be more I fun totally agree yeah, and, and I mean, you can have an athlete's mindset if, if you've never done anything before and you're like, oh, I'm only squatting five kilos. And I'm like, yeah, but if down the track you're squatting 10 kilos, Ooh, that's, 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 that's still progress. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That's and it's all massive progress. Yeah. to the individual. You just yeah. treat one more thing before we go, guys, because I get this a lot. Because obviously they see me lifting weights and they probably see you maybe lifting and we lift heavy weights, like we're strong, you know, and they're like, oh, am I going to get results if I, if I can't come in and lift heavy? I don't want to lift heavy. And I'm like, I think women automatically think they're like, oh, okay, we're going to bring you in and put you under a hundred kilo barbell, like loaded up with hundred kilos. It's like, can you guys talk about that? And like that misconception. It kind of comes back to what we were saying about those effective reps. And that's just irregardless of what weight it is, because it's completely relative to you. If you're doing 10 kilos or 20 kilo squats and you're literally getting those last few reps and they're genuinely effective reps and you're, unintentionally slowing down you're hitting the right muscles and you know you have all that mechanical tension happening you're going to be incrementally making the same amount of progress as someone who's doing that at 80 kilos because it's totally relative to you and then you will get stronger eventually you'll be able to lift those weights but yeah it's not about a particular weight which is oftentimes if i post like my swipe workouts people are like what weight should i use and then i'm like it's not about what weight you should use because everyone's different so you have to base it off you you know however many reps you can get out then you know to make the 15 reps that's what you should be using and obviously um, yeah, you get stronger sorry over time like someone yeah, you definitely get stronger yeah yeah 100 start where you're at yeah you start where you're at yeah it's not about yeah and then eventually like and i also think you really don't know what you're capable of like you underestimate obviously it's going to take time but i remember when i first started i never would have thought i'd lift the weights i can lift now but it's just that gradual progression. I think you've got to get away from going, obviously it's good to have the goals, but just go, I just want to go in and get, get like might be one extra rep at the same weight or, you know, you, you add a little bit more weight or you improve, yeah. you know, you, if you gradually build on that, that actually adds up to a lot over 12 months. Mm-hmm. It does. Yeah. And it takes time to get to where we are with weights. Like we've been lifting for so long. So 
you know, you can't expect to be deadlifting 150 kilos, 140 kilos, even 100 kilos when you first start. You know, you got to build up to that like 12 months, you know, 24 months and then keep mm. building. I think though, like, if, and you, you, I don't know, in terms of timeframes, like we've had some good transformations in 18 months. Like if you really come in and do the work and be consistent, um, yeah, consistent and like learn how to lift and be consistent, but you can get good results in 18 months. And I think, fuck, 18 months actually isn't long. No. Or you can go, I'm going to keep doing quick fixes and I'm going to spend the next 20 years trapped. Spinning your wheels, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the time is going to pass regardless. So mm-hmm. you might as well do something different than you've been doing for X amount of years and actually make a bit of progress. Yes, it'll be hard because it's, you know, like I said, all the things that we've explained, you know, that there are skills involved in around nutrition and lifting. But... I mean, there's just no other way around it. <laughs> you look at anyone with a decent physique, you ask them, you're like, oh, what do you do and how long have you been lifting? They're all going to say, yeah, I've been lifting for five plus years and I, this is how much I lift and this is how I eat. And you'll just hear the similarities across the board, you know, and, and, and a better physique compared to someone else who's at the same body, whatever, it just means they're stronger, they're more capable. It generally just means they've just been doing it for longer. Um, and that's it's a, it's a harsh reality. Like it's definitely a marathon sport, but mm-hmm. as I said, time's going to pass regardless. So if it means that much to you, you have to be prepared to make some changes. Because mm-hmm. if it was easy, everyone would do it. But saying that once you get to like, it, what, but, but we were talking about this today <laughs> about in terms of the volume, I know Craig will describe it better, but you know, like to build the muscle, to get to say your certain physique levels, you've got to, you know, so much volume, certain mm-hmm. with a certain amount of weight. But once you get there, to yeah, you yeah. Can, that's right. Yeah, easy, so easy. You can maintain on like I would say that I could probably maintain on two days a week. I would say, yeah. How cool is that? How cool yeah. is that if you just put in, I mean, like, especially for someone who just is really, really busy. It's like just dedicate a year to it, dedicate two years to it. Yeah, and then once you have it, you can maintain it on. Yeah, yeah. that's amazing. That actually like blows my mind, really. Yeah, like even though I don't want to just yeah. train that because I like training and you like training too. I like, it's enjoyable. It's fun to try and get better. But like right. you say, if you just, yeah, once you've built it, it's so easy to sustain. Yeah. 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 yeah the building is much, much, much harder than the maintenance part. Mm. Yeah, it's just, it's interesting. I, I don't know many people who've made the full lifestyle change to have a really good change and then go, oh, I'm I just going to train two days a week. They, they, yeah. they found they love that it. passion now, you know. Yeah. yeah. And we always want to be better, like, and it gets harder as you get more advanced. So therefore for me to gain, like, whatever, let's say 200 grams of muscle, it's going to be like, I'm pushing hard. (laughs) So yeah, yeah. Yeah, the the changes get harder to come by as well. Yeah. Those newbie gains. Yeah. They're gone. Well, that, that was so awesome guys. Thanks so much. We better better get off now. We're supposed to be having a a message, have a meeting with her at 12. I'm like, Oh, we're just, we're just on this podcast. Um, Obviously I'll drop, well, if you really listen, you'll know Libby. I'll drop her details anyway in the um, in the show notes and Craig's as well. Follow Coach Sausage. Not that he really posts anything on Instagram, but uh, that was so good, guys. Thank you so much. Um, I really hope that, yeah, women can take a lot away from this and take a bit more control back of their nutrition and, mm-hmm. you know, you don't have to gain that much body fat. Mm-hmm. You just don't have to. Yeah, totally. Awesome. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Talk to you soon, Libby. See ya. Bye.